Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Center for War Studies podcast. Today, I'm your host, uh, Ingvild Borda. I'm associate professor at the Center for War Studies and principal investigator of the Autonomes Project, based at SDU. Autonomes explores how autonomous weapon systems may change international norms, while also examining different practices related to AI development around the world. Today, our guest is Dr. Catherine Chandler. She's assistant professor of culture and politics at Georgetown University. And Dr. Chandler's research examines the intersection of technology, media, and social politics. Welcome to SDU, Kate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Today, we would like to talk about the intersection between gender and military applications of artificial intelligence. So to start us off, Kate, first, can you tell us a little bit about your current research? What inspired you to work on this topic and why do you think it's important? I think it's easiest to start with um, how I arrived at this current research, which is from my previous research project, which is about drone aircraft. And one of the things that I really noted about the discourse associated with drone aircraft is that the figure is not uh, unhuman, it's an unmanned aircraft. Um, and this gendered language, I think, plays out in lots of different ways in terms of how the machine itself is conceptualized and the ways in which there is a human figure that is disavowed in the technological system. Um, and my book, Unmanning How Humans, Machines, and Media Perform Drone Warfare, um, thinks about the ways in which race, gender, and nation are interlinked through drone aircraft. Um, and this book... Um, uh, caused me to be introduced to um, the researchers who are thinking about questions of gender and artificial intelligence, and particularly military applications of artificial intelligence. And last year, I authored a report for the United Nations Institute of Disarmament Research on um, gender and military AI, asking, does military AI have gender? And thinking about the ways in which discussions of human and machine interactions are not just about humans and machines, but also gender understandings of who is human and who is not, um, and the ways in which we might use the categories of race and gender to further expand the discussions that are currently happening about military applications of artificial intelligence. So coming back to the report you just mentioned, uh, here we explore how gender norms can be implicitly but also explicitly encoded in machine learning processes and what this means for military AI. Could you summarize your main findings, please? So what the report does is it takes a look at a lot of the critical scholarship that has been developed on commercial applications of artificial intelligence. And in, in commercial applications of artificial intelligence, there's a large literature that critically takes apart the ways in which contemporary data sets are not neutral. So when we think about data, often the term data is thrown around as if it is objective and given or something that is not under human control. But what this critical literature asks us to think about is the way in which any data set is drawn from or scraped from existing human practices and embedded within this data is going to be human practices as well. Um, and so there's a lot of work that has shown the ways, for example, data about human subjects in health disciplines is actually dominated by male, uh, male subjects um, and often females are left out of the experimental data. 
Um, we can think about the overrepresentation of people of color in data sets associated with um, policing. Um, uh, and again, uh, the ways in which any data set is going to rely on certain, certain people to develop the data to make the model happen and not be broadly representative. One of the things I'm really interested in my report is that even if we assume that the data is collected from the internet, the internet is not representative of the human population at large. There's very specific subsets of people that are overrepresented and other subsets of people that are underrepresented. We can think about how this you know, maps onto concerns about the global north versus the global south, but we can also see a real gendered concern here because particularly in the global south, um, far fewer women have access to the internet than men do, right? And, and again, there's even a gendered dimension to who accesses the internet in the global north as well. So instead of trying to think about artificial intelligence as representing a human writ large, we can think about the ways in which data means that the artificial intelligence is drawing on particular models that are specific and contingent to certain circumstances. And so while this is well studied in commercial context, the implications of this haven't really been thought about for military applications of artificial intelligence. And so in the report, I spend a lot of time thinking about what these insights mean for our understanding of questions about targeting, for example, um, but even more banal uh, uh, uses of artificial intelligence are going to contain these questions of gender. Um, machine translation, for example, it's much more common for it to um, refer to a male pronoun than to a female pronoun, particularly when it's translating from a gender-neutral language to a language that has specific genders. And so we can see clear consequences of these forms of gender bias being played out in terms of the real-world applications of this. Um, and again, gender is not only implicit, so there's a lot of discussion about implicit biases that sort of reproduce existing social biases, but the process of modeling, people are making decisions about what should be included and what should be excluded, and those biases can make um, introduce real explicit biases as well, and both of these things we need to be concerned about. You, um, in the report, you also recommend a gender-based approach to human-machine interaction. Can you expand a bit more on what this would involve and what this means? So I, one of the things that gender scholars have been thinking about for decades is the ways in which the term human is often a smokescreen for the term man. Um, and one of the things I really want to break down in my, in my analysis is to think about when we say human-machine interactions, who is actually being imagined as the user? Um, and there's some fascinating research out there about the ways in which we use this gender-neutral language associated with computers, for example, referring to users and persons and humans, but often who is being imagined is a male user, a male programmer, a male designer, and more often than not, also a white male user, a white male programmer. And we need to make those particular visions explicit in order to be able to address it. So I think by only referring to human interactions or users, we're ignoring the ways in which these systems are being designed in particular ways for particular sets of people. And I want to make sure that um, the design actually really broadens its conceptualizations of humans to think about who all the full spectrum of people that might be involved. And then I think there's a far more complicated layer of this, which is 
military systems explicitly are being designed to target people who will not be involved in the design or development of these military applications. And there's a real ethical dilemma here about what it means to represent and to portray, to create an algorithm that um, pretends to represent an enemy um, that that person has no involvement in the figuration of this. And we can argue that this is something that has always happened in war, and it has. But I think the w new ways that this is happening in digital forms is really something that we need to pay new attention to. I mean, raises new challenges for human rights law and, and for international humanitarian law. Yeah, thank you so much for summarizing this. I think what more of the kind of key critical points that the project also investigates is that we find ourselves in a situation where governments across the world are investing more and more in military applications of AI. And at the same time, there's no specific international legal regulations of these weapon systems. So which challenges do you see as most pressing in terms of addressing gender norms in military AI in this situation? So I think there's a lot of real challenges that military applications of artificial intelligence bring to the fore, which are representative, I think, of some of the broader challenges that we face trying to regulate and think about war um, and the limitations of some of the instrument, instruments that are currently available to us. So often um, when we think about war, it's analyzed in terms of state actors um, and in terms of international governing bodies. I mean, I think there's really important interventions that can be done both by state actors and by and through um, international treaties or um, developments to international law. At the same time, there seems to be clear limitations to this and particularly the ways in which data and information and development are already crossing borders and boundaries um, and the sort of organization of these divisions in, in ways that are um, novel. Um, and so I think that it also calls for new forms of engagement with civil society um, and, and actors thinking about the ways in which their data may be unwittingly turned into military information. Um, and I, I really want to not only advocate for state and state-level policies or international policies, but also to think on a day-to-day -day level about how we culturally are participating in the sort of expansion of these warfare systems, potentially through our you know, very ordinary uses of cell phones and computers, and how does sort of paying attention to this and trying to challenge this point to the, the ways in which we really need to um, um, rethink many of the typical categories of international relations and um, the legal protections that might be necessary. Yes, I mean, in terms of how this plays out in our everyday, uh, I'm also always struck by how media articles about autonomous weapon systems, military AI, or killer robots, we often see the imagery of a humanoid robot with red eyes. So often the Terminator or kind of iterations of this trope are used, or kind of, um, yeah, AI is represented as a humanoid killer robot. Um, because you have a background, of course, in, in, in kind of cultural studies, and um, I just wondered what you think about how why these representations are so sticky uh, compared to maybe other types of representations of AI that might be more accurate or might be painting um, yeah, a clearer picture of where we actually are uh, in terms of re the real-world applications. As you know, one of the sort of um, key critical scholars in gender peace and security studies is Carol Cohn, who wrote a really famous piece in the late 1980s 
um, about that describes the difficulties we have as feminists entering into the discourse of international relations and uh, international law because it relies on this very particular rational sanitized mode of analysis in order to operate. So um, what she was analyzing at the time was nuclear war and the ways in which um, sort of defense intelligence uh, um, experts used a very detached language to describe the ravages that would be wrought by, you know, millions of people being die dying through um, nuclear weapons and, and their use. And I think part of the reason why Terminator is so salient to the ongoing discourse and why people refer to it popularly is that we actually can, the rational discourse that is often associated with these military systems doesn't get at the real uh, ethical, moral, existential dilemmas that are brought up by the development of sort of technologies that are designed to kill people. And we don't have to think that the Terminator is going to happen and there's going to be a machine that sort of wants to get rid of the entire human species. But I, I think this really represents a dilemma that we face as human beings about um, death and war and violence. And, and I think cultural objects in many ways provide us with a better set of language and discourse to be able to think about the consequences of this. And I think there's a lot of limitations to Terminator. It's a very cheesy movie. There's a lot of gender problems with this film. It's very white and it really reminds you of this very particular moment in the 1980s and the 1990s. It's quite specific to the Cold War. I think all of these problems actually are great, great tools for us to begin to think about all of the ways in which this idea of an AI war between the United States and China is imagining, you know, what's going to happen to the bodies of humans, to women, to children, to um, soldiers, and, and that likely this war between superpowers is not going to be played out between superpowers, but is going to be played out in proxy battles and um, involve experiments on people in the global south, which is what we saw happen in the global, in, in the Cold War. And I think there's a much more complicated narrative that if we actually took the Terminator seriously, we could spend more time thinking about and, and, and again, not unwittingly participate in the sanitization of what war means, but really think about the way in which violence is part of everyday lives and, and you know, be it in a digital form or in, um, you know, gun violence, in loitering munitions, in the use of drones, right? Like This is being lived and experienced by bodies that are fleshy and um, have deep emotions and are, are not sort of just calculated actors that are um, trying to gain global power. What, what do you think uh, should be the main takeaway if we think about gender and military AI? So what, um, for people who have never thought about this topic before, maybe you're listening to this conversation, What do you want them to remember about this particular issue? Well, I think one of the really key things to think about gender and military AI is this basic uh, idea that technologies are never just tools, right? And so that technologies have long entangled histories with human practices, and these human practices um, are tied to intersectional understandings of what our identity is, which includes, you know, 
gender, but also race and sexuality and ability. And so while I think there's important steps that are being taken to think about human and machine interactions and to think about us as cyborgs or as, you know, part of assembled relations between humans and non-humans, I think it's really also important to understand the power dynamics of that and to remember that this human is also this sort of fleshy embodied self, which involves these identity characteristics, which are going to be experienced very differently by very different persons throughout the world. And so some of that contingency is really important for our discourse and I think can really transform how we talk about the global implications of military AI systems. Thank you so much, Kate, for, for your time and for these fascinating insights. 